You are listening to Mountain to Glen, the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mountain to Glen, the podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Cindy Doyle. Remember to like and rate the podcast on your chosen platform. And to everyone who's done this already, thank you very much. Joining us today is Helen Lawless. Helen is Access and Conservation Officer with Mountaineering Ireland. She studied rural development at UCD, holds her IML, and as anyone who knows her or follows her on social media can attest to, she has an encyclopedic knowledge of pretty much anything related to our uplands. Helen is with us today to discuss the launch of the second edition, the second edition of the hugely successful Irish Peaks book. But before we get to that, um, perhaps, Helen, you could give newer members to the hiking and hillwalking community an idea of what exactly Mountaineering Ireland is, what it does, what the benefits to joining are. Because it sounds like, you know, mountaineering sounds like it's big, mad mountains in the Alps. Is it just for climbers? No, absolutely not. Uh, Mountaineering Ireland is the representative body for hill walkers and climbers uh, across the island of Ireland. And we really represent the, the full spectrum of mountain related activities from low level walking uh, right through to uh, technical climbing, both indoors and outdoors. That's quite a broad spectrum of activities there. Um, so if I wanted to join Mountaineering Ireland as an individual, what do I do? And What's the benefit of joining? Yeah, well, you have you have two avenues for joining. You, you can join as an individual member and uh, you can do so through our website, mountaineering.ie. Uh, the majority of Mountaineering Ireland members are actually affiliated through one of our 190 clubs around the country. And that way you get not just uh, the benefits of being part of Mountaineering Ireland, but you also get the club activities, uh, social events, walking, uh, whatever else the, the club is involved in. In terms of the, the benefits of being uh, a member, we publish a quarterly members magazine, the Irish Mountain Log, which is posted directly to all our members. There's public liability and a limited personal accident cover insurance as part of our membership. Um, Mountaineering Ireland members also get discounts in outdoor shops. Um, So a lot of people make back the money they pay for their membership uh, in their purchases on clothing and equipment, even in the course of a year. Members also get discounts on Mountaineering Ireland events like the Lynham Lecture with Leo Holding. And of course, uh, we give members a, a discount on the Irish Peaks book as well. And you also do great events like Women with Altitude and things like that. And you, you have your recent Happy Hiking program too. So there's lots really, isn't there, for anyone who's interested in joining? Absolutely. We develop and administer training schemes that provide the backbone to people's skills and competence, particularly those involved in uh, taking others walking or climbing. And we've developed initiatives like Women with Altitude to respond to even though Mountaineering Ireland has almost 16,000 members and the majority of, slight majority female uh, participation, uh, that's about 52% female, 48% male. But one of the reasons we started the uh, Women with Altitude initiative was because we recognised that 
even though we had more female members, uh, we had fewer women involved in leadership roles or in the more technical aspects of our sport or even on our board of directors. And I'm pleased to say that the Women with Altitude initiative over it's more than 10 years now has helped, I think, to build women's skills and confidence. So if there are any women listening who, you know, an interest in walking or climbing, we would actively encourage them to join one of our Women with Altitude events. Uh, They'll have some of the best fun they'll ever have in the outdoors and make connections with uh, like-minded people. It is brilliant crack. I've attended myself. It's great fun. Um, So what's your day job look like? What does an access and conservation officer do? I imagine you would be traipsing around the country a lot and, you know, talking to farmers and building relationships which which sounds to me like you'd really have to be a people person and you know maintaining those relationships will be quite time consuming I'd imagine. Yes it is and I I suppose when I I spoke about the benefits of being a member of Mountaineering Ireland I gave maybe some of the more tangible benefits but perhaps what's more important is that by being a member of Mountaineering Ireland you're you're supporting the national body working on behalf of hill walkers and climbers and with more members, we can be more effective, uh, for example, in the work we do to improve access and to protect the mountain environment. And you did, you know, you, you mentioned that I might be uh, <laughs> traipsing around the country speaking with farmers. Uh, that's certainly part of what I do. But more often, uh, for example, if a, an issue with access arises, uh, we'll generally become aware of that through local members. Or if it's somebody who's not from the area, the first thing we would do is contact a local club and ask if they know the person involved, if they know what the story is. And sometimes just uh, having that chat with somebody in the area, encouraging them to go out and speak with the landowner will sort it. Some access issues uh, just arise from getting the person on the wrong day or a misunderstanding. And if it's more difficult, I do join with members or, for example, with the local rural recreation officer as well to meet with the landowner and try and tease out the issue to see if we can find a solution. Because we don't we don't have, uh, you know, it's not like Scandinavia where you've got a right to roam. We don't have an inherent right to just walk onto any hill or any mountain in the country. Sure, we don't like a lot of people might actually think they have the right to just hike off into the distance, but they don't. Yeah. Nonetheless, we do it all the time. And protecting the access that we currently enjoy is really important, not least because uh, we have no legal right of access. So I do spend uh, a fair bit of time explaining to people that, you know, when we engage in walking, climbing or other outdoor recreation activities, and more often than not, we're crossing uh, privately owned land, we're doing so with the goodwill of the landowner or landowners. And certainly in the context of hill walking, it's possible that you'll cross land with um you know, maybe even up to a hundred owners or shareholders in in any hike. Wow. So it, it is really important that people who are involved in outdoor activities recognise that we all share in the responsibility to maintain the goodwill that our activities depend upon, and to maintain those relationships and say hello and maybe ask about parking issues or whatever if we if we see a landowner. Exactly. Yeah. I mean that's. Um, it's just like any other relationship. You need to make a little bit of effort to make it work well. And yes, the actions of one individual, one group could result in a withdrawal of access. But the flip side of that is every single time we go out, if we happen to meet a landowner being you know, 
nice. <laughs> I suppose <laughs> uh, just stopping to, to say hello or even giving them a, a salute, just giving them a wave adds a little bit to the quality of the relationships that we're depending upon. And certainly if you're going to an area that you're not familiar with, it is worth checking with somebody in the area and that could be a local Mountaineering Ireland club or contacting myself in Mountaineering Ireland. We'll let you know if we know of any difficulties, but even when you get there on the ground, perhaps just uh, knocking on the door, checking about parking, because you're right that, you know, parking is one of the things that can cause frustration for local people, uh, not least because a lot of farming activity takes place at the weekend because many farmers, especially in upland areas, many of them work off farm and they will be using the time at the weekend perhaps to to move their sheep from one field to another. So one or two cars belonging to hillwalkers parked in the gate of a field could really cause some frustration. Mm, a tractor in a trailer has a big turning circle. They need space. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And they, the same is true of the emergency services, be that an ambulance or a fire engine. They need space. And and mountain rescue, of course, as well. Yes. Uh, and, you know, one of the things we do see often, not least in Wicklow, where we've got so much quilcha forestry is vehicles parked in front of a forest barrier. You've got to remember that mountain rescue may need access through that barrier to respond to an incident. Which Indeed. might even be to you <laughs> if <Yes>. you've blocked <laughs> it. <laughs> so you might be scuppering your own rescue if you've parked across the barrier. Yeah. So a, a lot of this might seem like common sense, but sadly, it's not quite as common as we'd <laughs> wish for. And I won't even go down the route of talking about dogs because, yeah, that'll open a whole other can of worms. And suffice to say, just heed what the landowner wants you to do. It's their land after all and their place of work and where they earn their keep. Yes. And, you know, with regard to the dogs as well, it's worth remembering, too, that um a dog wandering freely on a hillside is going to disturb wildlife, for example, nesting birds as well. And that often goes unseen. Um, mm. More and more people in the outdoors and more and more people with dogs. Uh, we are making life even more difficult for the, the species that in many situations are literally just hanging on because of climate change or because of habitat loss, particularly changes in land use. Uh, we have a lot of species that are, you know, borderline in Ireland right now. And it's worth thinking about the different ways in which we might make life even more challenging for them. That seeks nicely into the other aspect of your job in conservation. What does that look like on a daily basis for you? Some of it's about education, trying to make people aware of the the species that are in our uplands, the habitats, uh, land use, and the responsibility that we have as well to help protect the mountains. And the single biggest impact of our activities on the mountains is the impact of our cumulative footfall. And that's really evident to us here in Wicklow in particular, because we can see erosion scars across virtually all of our mountains. And because of the peaty character of the hills, we've got a lot of blanket bog on the Wicklow Mountains. It's really susceptible to the impact of footfall. And typically what happens is, is the vegetation gets worn away, it gets muddy, messy in the middle, and people walk on the sides to get a better footing and drier ground. And that then widens the damaged area, you, you lose more vegetation. And once the heather or other vegetation is lost off the top, uh, the peat underneath is really vulnerable uh, to being washed away by rainfall. Uh, so you you get 
not just an erosion scar, but even the loss of peat like that will affect water quality. And peat, as we know, is vitally important. Looking after our peatlands is one of the most important things we need to do in response to the climate emergency. Yeah, it's been a great carbon sink. Yes, but the reality is, and this is the bad news we have to share with people, most of the peatlands in Ireland, most of the peatlands in Wicklow are in degraded condition and sadly are not sequestering carbon, they're not capturing carbon from the atmosphere. In fact, because they have been drained or damaged, they are releasing carbon back into the atmosphere, uh, which is the exact opposite of what we need those landscapes to be doing. And I, I know uh, the National Park and Wildlife Service are onto that and have created little dams and already the water is being trapped behind the dams. So we can keep our fingers crossed and hope that those pilot projects are successful and can be rolled out across the uplands. Yes, absolutely. And, and look, it is really good to see that pilot work taking place. I mean, for example, between uh, Barnacullion and Stony Top, uh, Wicklow Mountains National Park have been working there over the last year with some assistance from volunteers, including mm. some people from Mountaineering Ireland as well. But if you think of that landscape uh, between Stony Top and Mullachlee Vaughan. It va- looks like you're in space, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like you're on a different planet. It's awful. We have vast areas of bare peat over, well, I think Hugh McLinden has estimated more than 200 hectares of bare peat with no vegetation and little or no biodiversity. And all of that peat is exposed to the rainfall. If it's not washing away, it's probably blowing away. So the the restoration work that's needed needs to happen on a far greater scale. And it's starting to happen in other places as well. Uh, Lugalaw State are now looking at re-wetting some of the blanket bog on their land. And the National Parks and Wildlife Service is also doing some work in the Liffeyhead bog area near Kapur. So that's a, a bit of hope for the future, maybe. Yes. So uh, getting back to the reason you're actually here today, the Irish Peaks book, second edition. I noticed actually you had a, a competition running for photographs. Is it difficult to get decent shots of the mountains in Ireland, maybe with the weather? Um, I, I don't think it is. Uh, it's just difficult to draw them in. And when we, we did the first edition of Irish Peaks, um, the, the book is a guide to Ireland's highest hundred mountains. And it's made up of hill walking routes that take in the highest hundred peaks. And We've over 70 routes in the book. So some of them cover multiple peaks. For example, the Glencoe and Horseshoe route in the 12 Bends has five. That's the route that has the the most. But I think what we realised, we've many different contributors to the book. When the idea for the book was first floated more than 10 years ago, we put out a call to Mountaineering Ireland members asking if, um, particularly asking clubs, if they would write a route to cover a mountain that they were very familiar with, a mountain in their area. Community buy-in then, I suppose, yeah. Well, it it seemed the right thing for Mountaineering Ireland to do, to draw on the the knowledge and the strength of our membership. Um, However, I think one of the things we perhaps didn't realise is that there are two different skill sets, one to uh, write up the route and the other to provide photographs to illustrate it. So many of the photographs we got initially really weren't of the quality that we needed. And I guess Suppose people have different listeners uh, who are not familiar with. Sorry, yeah. I, I was just going to uh, say most people would probably take photographs with their phone. That probably wouldn't be a, of a sufficient quality for the book, would it? 
We have we do have some photographs in the book that came from phones, but yeah, that that's been one of the challenges. Some people sent us really really beautiful photos, but the file size was just way too small to use in print. And for those who are not familiar with Irish Peaks, it's um, a coffee table sized book, so that's. It's gorgeous. That's, that's how big it is. Um, <laughs> consequently, if a photograph has been used at a large size in the book, you need, uh, you need really high resolution. You, yeah. you need high resolution image. Um, before we published the first edition, I think we had we actually had a total of three photographic competitions to try and improve the selection of photographs uh, that we had. We were also you know, constrained. We were looking for photographs that would work with the amount of text that we had for the route. We were trying to show a photograph of each of the highest hundred mountains in the book and then include maybe a second image that showed people enjoying that mountain landscape. Um, one of the things we were really pleased with, and we got fantastic feedback on the first edition with regard to the, the photographs, I, I think it does draw people into the book. And you mentioned that we recently did a photographic competition to gather some new photos for the second edition. And we have, we've actually got more than 50 new photographs in the second edition of Irish oh, Peaks. Excellent. Are they over and above or do they replace? The majority of them are replacing photographs that were there already. Uh, though for any listeners in the, particularly in the Wicklow area, even in the Blackstairs, we actually got very few entries to the competition from this part of Ireland. Really? The va vast majority of the photographs we received were from the West. So that's a tip for anybody. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder, is it a case of, you know, in a bigger population, everybody thinking someone else is going to do it? <laughs> possibly or that we we take more photographs when we're away in a different part of the country because yeah that's there's true. no doubt that there are more people walking in the Wicklow Mountains uh, than there are in perhaps any other mountain range around the country I mean while the Mourns always feel busy the Mourns is a very compact mountain range and um, there are a lot more people in in the Wicklow Mountains but if they're taking photos, they haven't shared them with us. So that, that's an encouragement to any keen photographers there. Keep uh, taking Keep your submitting photos. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we, we'd welcome them at any time. Um, absolutely. To irishpeaks at mountaineering.ie. Um, but watch out for, you know, if we're doing a third edition at some stage, we'll put out another call for photographs. It's a lovely way to refresh the book. It gives other people a stake in the book as well because Absolutely. I think that stakeholder element of it is is lovely. Yes, it's been really collaborative and that was one of the, the nicest things about being involved in the, the Irish Peaks project. Um connecting with all those uh, different members around the country. And we even went back to them again this year when we uh, started work on the, the second edition to ask were there any changes to the routes that they had submitted. Uh, so some of our changes in the second edition come from contributors who had um, who wanted to make a change to their route. We have some changes that come as well from users of the book who noticed something when they were using the Irish Peaks book. For example, the route on Tone Legee in the Wicklow Mountains. We had uh, an email from somebody earlier this year to say that there'd been forestry felled. So the section where that route goes into the forestry was more or less impassable now due to felling. So some members of the Irish Ramblers Club went out, did a recce, found a slight uh, variation on that route that just easier for people to follow. So we have, we have some improvements of that nature. So people can ex ex expect well. little updates like that. 
Yes. Was there, was there an impact actually on on access with, you know, with the huge success you had with the book? You know, did some landowners decide, oh, I wasn't expecting this many people to be walking across my land? Did it, did it have a negative impact on access or a positive one? We made a, a lot of effort to avoid any known access difficulties when we produced Irish Peaks in the first place. And in fact, I think at least... 10 of the routes that were submitted were changed because of access concerns before we published the first edition. We're not aware of any situation where the inclusion of a route in the book has resulted in an access difficulty, but we do we do have one notable change for the second edition that I, I would like to mention for the benefit of anybody who has the first edition, and that relates to Nakna Dubber in Kerry and Nocknadubber is often climbed by the, the pilgrim route near Cahar Sivine, but the route in Irish Peaks actually goes from the north side of the mountain. And we found out after the book was published that there was a landowner there who wasn't keen on having people on their land. It wasn't to do with the publication of Irish Peaks, but for the second edition, we have found a variation of that okay. route. That's equally enjoyable, and we will put up a PDF of the revised Nocna Dubber route on mountaineering.ie. Um, we'll do that uh, shortly. Brilliant. That's good to know. Any other little uh, tidbits of information like that that you can pass on? Oh, uh, that's we have too much. <laughs> there are, <laughs> there are another copy. <laughs> um, there, a lot of them are small changes. I, I think for Wicklow listeners, it's um, worth mentioning, firstly, that the Irish Peaks book is based on the Mountain Views list of Ireland's highest 100 mountains. And that list itself has been subject to some change. And when we made Simon Stewart and the Mountain Views team aware that we were updating Irish Peaks, Simon well, got on his bike or got in his car and dashed around the country to a few mountains where he had in mind to check that it's not just the height of the mountain. Um, the highest 100 list is made up of Ireland's highest 100 mountains with a prominence of 100 metres or more from the nearest peak. So a lot of what he was going to do was actually check the height of saddles to see whether mountains were in the list or out. And the changes this year include the addition of Cove in the Mourne Mountains, which gives the Mourns a total of 10 peaks in the highest 100. And we have, I'm not sure, we don't have 10 routes in Irish peaks, but I think it's six different routes in the Mourns. And then in the Wicklow Mountains, um, sadly, Mullacore got demoted. Uh, yeah, 96 odd metres of prominence oh. wasn't enough. Um, but the good news for Wicklow is that Seafingen is now in the highest 100. One demotion it and one promotion. Yes, but an extra route. We now have 10 routes in Wicklow in Irish Peaks because we put in a new route uh, to cover Seafingen. We did consider the possibility of joining Seafingen with Kapur, but as many of the listeners will know, that ridge across between Seafingen and Kapur is really peaty, wet, and, Nasty. Uh, and, you know, we, we didn't want to add to the erosion along that route. And um, so we have a sea fingen route contributed by Clean Vertoon that starts in the Gwilcha Forestry, goes across Sea Finn to the summit of Sea Fingen. And, you know, while it, it's a, a short route, it's one with lots of archaeological interest as well because of the monuments on those two mm. summits. Whose idea was it in the first place? You mentioned it, you know, was born or came into being. 10 years ago, a decade ago, who sowed that first seed? Well, uh, the book was published as a tribute to Joss Lynham, 
the late Irish mountaineer, uh, founder of the Irish Mountaineering Club and one of the founder members of Mountaineering Ireland. And amongst Joss's many achievements was that he was the, well, he was the editor of the Irish Mountain Log and started the Irish Mountain Log. He was the editor for the first 50 issues or so, but he also wrote and edited a number of hill walking guidebooks, including that one, Irish Peaks, the first Irish Peaks, published in 1982. And following Joss's death in 2011, Mountaineering Ireland was considering how best to commemorate Joss uh, and his huge contribution to our activities. Pay tribute to him, yeah. Mm. So um, Alan Tease and Margaret Tease, uh, I should probably put that in the first order or the reverse order because I think it was probably Margaret Tease who came up with the idea of publishing a hillwalking guidebook as a tribute to Joss. And the initial proposal was to do it for um, a longer list of mountains, the Vandalur Lynham separates, because Joss had been involved in compiling that hill list. And the initial call for contributions was for a slightly longer list of mountains. Uh, I think it's 166 on the, the Vandalur Lynham separates. Uh, the, the project went on hold for a few years. So that's the, the hiatus between the initial call and the publication of the first edition of the, if you like, the new Irish Peaks. That first edition was published in July 2020. And Margaret and Alan really deserve great credit because they were the people who kept it on the Mountaineering Ireland agenda and ensured that we did eventually deliver on the promise to produce the Irish Peaks book. Um, the other people involved, uh, well, the core group was Alan, Margaret, myself and Michael Byrne, from uh, Zest Creative and Michael looked after the design work, photo retouching, um, layouts, org- that kind of thing, was it? Absolutely, organizing the printing. And Michael and his team did a, a really tremendous job. And, you know, they were, were so committed uh, to producing a really high quality publication that I think it, it's way beyond what Alan and Margaret had originally envisaged. Um, it's something that I think we can all be really proud of. It's a celebration of Ireland's highest 100 mountains. It's also a celebration of, of hillwalking, which is the main activity for the majority of Mountaineering Ireland's members. And it's been hugely successful. It's won awards and everything, hasn't it? What awards has it won? Well, Alan was really keen that we enter the book for mountain book competitions. Unfortunately, he found out that to be eligible for the Boardman Tasker Award, um, it can't be a book with multiple authors. So we, oh. were out, we were out of that one. Um, Michael in Zest uh, looked at the Unpost Irish Book Awards, but unfortunately, you can't put in self-published or independent books in that competition. Wow. So Alan then said, OK, it's got to be the Banff Mountain Book Awards. And they associated with the, uh, the Banff Film Festival, the Banff Mountain Festival. And we entered the book last year for the Banff Awards, and I'm really pleased to say it. Look, we were thrilled when we got shortlisted. Uh, we were super delighted when we found out that Irish Peaks won the Guidebook Award in Banff last year. I think Alan and Margaret's only regret was that they didn't actually get to Banff. And they had to, I can they imagine. Had to- <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't love a trip to Banff? But what an amazing achievement for everybody involved in the project. You must be all really proud. Absolutely. Uh, we, are, we are. So the uh, the second edition of Irish Peaks will include a piece on the front cover uh, just highlighting the fact that it won the Banff Guidebook Award last year. And um, 
as well as the prestige, uh, there was a small financial benefit to that. And we got a beautiful glass award that's now on display in the reception area at our office in Blanchardstown. Lovely. Always nice to get a bit of glass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a really unusual piece of glass, actually, shaped like a mountain. It's absolutely gorgeous. Lovely. Did you, when you embarked on the project in the beginning, in the early days, did you have any idea that it would be such a success and that you would be printing a second edition so soon? No, no, we didn't. <laughs> um, maybe we hoped for that. Um, Joss would but, be delighted with you all. Yeah, we did. We did think that. I mean, Joss's contribution to mountaineering was not just in Ireland, but also internationally. He was the he was well known. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he was involved in many Irish mountaineering expeditions, provided advice to Irish mountaineers. But he was also, uh, in the 1990s, the president of the UIAA's Expeditions Commission. So he was providing advice to mountaineers internationally. Um, he spent a lot of time in the Himalayas. And so he was drawing on that and his other experience. And before the World Wide Web made expedition planning as easy well, as easy as it is today, <laughs> still brings its challenges. Um, so yes, it was it was a really uh, fitting tribute to Joss's involvement, and we were delighted for him and for his daughters Ruth and Cloda when the the book won the Banff Award. Yeah, it's a special moment for them, I'm sure too. Yeah. As well as being such um, a professional, he was so generous with his time you know, taking the time to advise other people, um, pretty much, I suppose, the godfather, if you like, of Irish mountaineering. Would that be fair to say? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, he's, his involvement in outdoor recreation extends way beyond mountaineering. He was involved in setting up well, the forerunner of the Irish Orienteering Association. He was quite a passionate orienteer. He was involved in the Association for Adventure Sports. And uh, what many people may not realise is he really was the instigator behind uh, the development of our network of Waymarked Ways. He was the chair of, well, it had various names like the Long Distance Walks Committee, the National Waymarked Ways Advisory Committee, and then the Irish Trails Committee, I think. Uh, but he was a thread running through all of that work over many decades as well and provided so much advice to people around the country. He was known and loved the length and breadth of the country. Um, Endless energy. Yes, uh, yes, he, he did. And um, as you say, he was tremendously generous in sharing his, his knowledge and his passion for the mountains. I think it's, it's important for newer hikers and newer hill walkers to the hill walking community to have some little bit of background information on who he was and um, he's not just a couple of pages on the inside of the front cover of the book. Yes, uh, absolutely. Look, he was a, a legend, an inspiration to uh, to so many people. And, you know, I was lucky when I, I started working with Mountaineering Ireland, uh, Joss was still very involved and was a mentor uh, to me um, as he was to, to so many others. I was just thinking of um, Simon Stewart's involvement and going out to check the, the different impermanence. Yeah, what a what an undertaking. Yeah. Um, Fair play to him. Yes. Uh, well, it's unlikely that there will be further changes because he knew which mountains were marginal. And so he, he went and checked those. Um, it came on foot of the announcement during the summer that Cove Mountain in the Morns had been added to the highest hundred. And when 
I saw that. I let Simon know that we were starting work on a second edition, and that was what prompted his check of various other marginal mountains, which did, it certainly involved some trips in the Wicklow Mountains, but also the Galtees, and it took him all the way down to the Bear Peninsula as well. Oh, I think actually the marginal peaks were on the Iveraw, close to Sneem. Very good. Fair dues to going around and doing that. It's great yeah. to have other people involved in the project. Absolutely. And again, it expresses the, the spirit of collaboration and also Mountaineering Ireland's cooperation with Mountain Views. Um, we recognised another Mountain Views list, the Ardairns, as I suppose an official Irish list over the last couple of years. The Ardairns are Ireland's 500 metre mountains and there's over 400 on that list. So the challenge of completing the Ardairns would be comparable to uh, completing the Munros in Scotland okay. in terms of the number of mountain days that it would take to complete to the list. To achieve it. Yeah. Excellent. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you'd like to add? Uh, the second edition, well, yeah, I'm, I haven't seen it yet. The book is now in Ireland. <laughs> um, it will be available uh, shortly on irishpeaks.ie and also through uh, selected retailers, including the adventure.ie store in Lara. There's Thank a you. I, I didn't have to do my own shameless plug. You did it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we. well, there's some, some outdoor shops and uh, selected bookshops have uh, stocked Irish Peaks. Uh, so hopefully it'll be back in stock with all of those again shortly. It'll be available in the third week of November. So from late November, it'll be in all of those outlets. There's a list of the outlets on our website. And I think not only does Irish Peaks make a, a fantastic Christmas gift, a beautiful Christmas gift, it could also provide New Year's resolution inspiration. Absolutely. Uh, for people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And weekend way inspiration as well. Yeah, the book was really timely because it was published uh, during the COVID period when uh, our travel was restricted and certainly people weren't traveling abroad as much as they might have done previously for holidays. So it became the Bible for uh, some Irish hillwalkers exploring corners of the island that they weren't previously familiar with. And it's amazing the number of uh, people I've come across who are actually working their way uh, through, through, uh, yeah. through the Irish peaks, as they call them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And why not? There's a couple of routes on there in Wicklow that I hadn't done exactly that route. And I thought, oh, let's go and have a look for, for that little rebel hide or, or whatever, you know. So even for seasoned walkers, there's something in it. And it's a wonderful, wonderful gift to give someone. And it's a lovely thing to have for yourself and not give away. <laughs> yes. Well, look, thanks for that feedback uh, on the book, Cindy. And, you know, again, to the, the people who are listening to the, the podcast, we would welcome feedback from people who've followed an Irish Peaks route and maybe have suggestions for how it could be improved. Uh, three of the routes in uh, the new edition are based on changes arising from feedback from users of the first edition. So hopefully Irish Peaks, the second edition, will inspire even more people to get out, explore Ireland's mountains and to discover new routes on familiar mountains and hopefully to share the positivity of their experiences with friends, family and online as well, because it is just a tremendous activity, um, a wonderful way to be in nature. Um, and there's so many benefits to yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, absolutely. Mountains are certainly my drug of choice, probably yours too. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Thank you very much, Helen, for joining us today on Mountain to Glen, the podcast. And that is the conclusion of that interview Cindy had with Helen Lawless from Mountaineering Ireland. Now, that episode was due to be released in December, but um, between editing another episode and, of course, all the delays that ensue at Christmas, I didn't get a chance to get it ready until just recently. But I hope you enjoyed it. I know I certainly did. And I'll definitely be going out and getting my own copy of Irish Peaks. So, until next time, get out there and enjoy. If you want to contact us, then you can do so by emailing us at mountaintoglen at gmail.com or by following Mountain to Glen, the podcast, on Facebook or Twitter. Thank you for listening.